Good morning, Cross Point. Everyone should have received a bulletin this morning when you came in. Inside that bulletin is your outline. If you take that out at this time, we are, if you're new here today, we're in a series. Uh, basically, we're just calling it discipleship. Today, we're going to be looking at mentoring mentors. And the, the idea behind this is everyone should have, every disciple in a church should have someone above them that they're reaching up to and is bringing them along spiritually. Someone beneath them that they're bringing along spiritually and somebody about their equal alongside of them that they could go to and bounce things off of and pray for one another and be vulnerable with one another and share your hurts and hang-ups and, and hold one another accountable. That's kind of what mentoring is all about. We're putting this under the big heading called discipleship. Let me give you a biblical example of it. Look at here up on the screen. This comes from um, 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. This is the Paul-Timothy mentoring relationship. I'm really going to focus on two of those three that I just mentioned. I'm going to look at the side-by-side relationship that Barnabas had with Paul. But I also want to look at the reaching down relationship and the reaching up relationship that uh, Paul had with Timothy, he's reaching down, and Timothy's reaching up. This is how this one begins. I think it's interesting in this biblical example, and you're going to see at least four times today, that Paul considered himself the spiritual father of young Timothy, and he calls him his son. Not literally, he had a Greek father, but his son in the gospel. You then, my son, that's Timothy. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me, Paul, say in the presence of many. When did Paul, when did Timothy hear Paul say things to him in the presence of many? Well, you remember the first missionary journey? Who did he take along with him? Timothy. And he, and he went from city to city to city, town to town to town, uh, preaching the gospel of Jesus. And at night, many a time, I'm sure they, by the campfire, what's Timothy learning? Those life lessons from the great apostle Paul. Those things you learned from me. There were witnesses. There were people around. And sometimes it was just us. But here's what I want you to do. Entrust those same things that I entrusted with you. Mentor others like I mentored you. Do it to reliable men who will be able to teach others also, who will be able to what? Teach others also, who will be able to what? Teach others also. You see how this mentoring thing is supposed to keep on going and going and going? Like that Energizer battery to the bunny that just keeps going. And so being a mentor is really modeling and teaching other Christians the precepts of the Bible and the Christian life. It really is pretty simple. Uh, It's not real complicated, this discipleship thing, this mentoring thing. And so being a mentor is really modeling this. And I think the ultimate desire of every mentor is to be surpassed by the disciple that they're bringing along. Uh, How many of you are parents? Raise your hand if you're a parent. Didn't you want, or don't you want, if you're still children in in the home, don't you want your children to outdo you? And you're not jealous of that? 
You want, the, you, you want them to be. I want my son Corey to be a better father to his son Blake than I was to him. I want my son to be a better husband. I want him to be a better Christian. I want him to be a better student of the Bible. I want him to be a better Christ follower. And I'm sure he wants that for his young son Blake. And we all want that. And that's the heart and that's the desire of a mentor. Uh, if I said the name Elijah, shake your hand if you know who I'm talking about. In the Old Testament, great prophet of God. See, your hands are good, good, good. So we're on the same page here. He had a disciple that he mentored. His name was Elisha. And when it came time for Elijah to leave this world, and by the way, he never died. Elijah never died. He just went on a walk one day, and God took him. And who followed him on that walk? Elisha. That's what a disciple does. That's what a mentor does. And so Elijah has poured into his life as much as he possibly could. And then just before leaving, he says, Elisha, is there anything else I can do for you? And Elisha says, you know, I'd sure like to have a double portion of your spirit before you go. And Elijah says, well, you know, that's really not mine to give. That's kind of up to God. But I tell you what, as I go up in this chariot of fire, if my mantle falls on you and you see that happen, know that God gave you a double portion. Well, he takes off up in the chariot of fire, and guess what? The mantle falls on Elisha, and he saw the whole thing. And don't you know Elijah was smiling all the way to heaven, knowing, yes, I've reproduced myself. And God's given my disciple a double portion of my spirit. Once a month, I meet with our ministry leaders. And I don't think a month goes by that I, say, I don't say, don't do ministry alone. Make sure you're investing in somebody. Who's going to take over when you leave? There needs to be that passing on of the torch. That mentoring relationship must be an ongoing process of every Christ follower. When the New England Patriots began the 2002 season, they were a group of mostly average players. And no one really expected much of the Patriots that year. And four games into their season, their all-pro quarterback, Drew Bledsoe, was injured. And he was out for most of the season. And their win-loss record at that point, when he got injured, was one win and three losses. Not very promising. When their young 23-year-old backup quarterback in his rookie year by the name of Tom Brady had to take over as quarterback. So things aren't looking good. Let me just tell you, the odds makers in Las Vegas at this point in the season had the odds at 10,000 to 1 of the New England Patriots winning the Super Bowl that year. Did you know that? But the Patriots, if you know anything about history and you know football, it's a matter of record that in 2002, they did win the Super Bowl that year. Now, there's a number of reasons why, and everyone has a thought on this. Some would say it was the coaching mastermind of Bill Belichick. 
is the reason they won. Others would say, no, it was Tom Brady is the reason they won. Still others would say, no, it was teamwork. The team really came together. But I want to throw a fourth reason into the hat. It's probably all those things, but let's add Drew Bloodsoul. I know what you're thinking. You're saying, well, wait a second, Bruce. Didn't you just tell us that he was injured? Yeah, you're right. He was injured. But he didn't just sit on the sidelines. On the sidelines, he decided ahead of time that I am going to become the coach and mentor of Tom Brady. I want this young rookie to succeed. And so every time they were on the sidelines, Drew Bledsoe was there with him, mentoring him, coaching him, helping him along. And even later in the season, when Drew Bledsoe recovered from his injuries, the coaches came and said, sorry, Drew, we're going to keep Brady on as the starting quarterback. And he didn't get all hacked off and bent out of shape over that. He didn't gripe. He didn't complain. You know what he decided in his mind to do was to keep on coaching and mentoring and making sure this young 23-year-old rookie didn't make the same mistakes that he had made years earlier during his rookie year. Isn't that a great mentor? Isn't that a great thing? And so I believe that this mentoring relationship that Bledsoe and Brady had together was really the primary reason for their success of winning the Super Bowl in 2002. Uh, John Maxwell in his book, look up here on the screen. I don't know if you know who he is. He's, he's a preacher, did a whole lot of writing on leadership. Uh, he gave me a book one day. He gave Keith Doolittle a book one day. He gave Forrest Doolittle a book one day because we went to one of his conferences here somewhere in Orange County. It was called The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And the last chapter of that book, he writes this. A leader's lasting value is measured by succession. What's he talking about there? There needs to be an Elijah who pours into the life of an Elisha, right? There needs to be a Drew Bledsoe that pours into the life of a Tom Brady. Every Christ follower should be pouring into the life of somebody. I like that. Because who's going to succeed you? You know, ministry leaders tend to want to do everything by themselves, but according to D.L. Moody and the Bible, it's not the right way. I like what D.L. Moody says. It is better to train ten people than to do the work of ten people. But notice the last phrase, but it's harder. It truly is. It's just harder. Because it takes time and it takes trouble and it takes an investment into somebody else's life. And the much easier thing to do if you've got a job to do and you're the leader of a ministry is to say, I'll just do it myself. And you could. But when you die, so does your ministry. So does your work. It's not the biblical way. But it will continue and it will last and move forward if there's succession if you help people along. There's got to be an Elijah that helps an Elisha. There's got to be an Eli who helps a Samuel. There's got to be a a Jesus who brings a a John the Apostle along. Do you remember in John's Gospel what he refers to himself as? The disciple whom Jesus loved. Five times he does that. Why? 
Because Jesus loved him. I think they had a special relationship. He had a special relationship with 12 guys, but really three of those guys, Peter, James, and John. But of those three, Peter, James, and John, he really poured into John. And you know what? When Jesus died, his family weren't believers. Chances are Joseph, his earthly father, was already dead. And he wanted someone to take care of his mom. And you know who he entrusted that job to? John. There's got to be a John. This mentoring relationship is taught in the Bible. There's got to be a Barnabas who helps out a Paul when Paul has a need. There's got to be a Paul who helps out a Timothy and a Titus and on down the line. Let's look at the basic meaning of disciple. So let's get what's a what's a disciple? Last week we said it doesn't stand for loser, it stands for learner. It's the Greek word mathetes. It refers generally to a student, any student, a pupil, or an apprentice as opposed to a teacher. A mathetes is not a rabbi. They follow the rabbi. In the ancient world, it was most often associated with people who were devoted followers of a great religious leader or teacher of philosophy called a didaskalos. And so look at that. Every mathetes had to have a didaskalos in order to be a mathetes. And every didaskalos needed a mathetes. You see how this works together? Teachers need rabbis, and rabbis need students. You say, well, Bruce, of mentoring is so important to the success in the sports world, the business world, and really every area of life, and it's supported by Scripture like you've just shown us. Why do we rarely so see it in the church? Well, a number of reasons. We already named one of them. It's hard. <laughs> Since January, we've been really talking about this in leadership, but we're not there yet. It's just hard. It's not taught, number two. And not everyone grasps the concept. We are Americans, rugged individualism. Stand on our own. Do it ourselves. Pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. That's not the biblical pattern. That's not the biblical way. Let me tell you something about youth ministry. They did a study, according to this study, that was done by the National Network of Youth Ministry, nine out of every ten young people who begin a relationship with Christ would say that the biggest factor in their decision was because of a one-on-one relationship with, watch this, not a fellow student, but with an adult. An adult reached down to them. Nine out of ten, ninety percent of the young people that come to Christ, an adult reached down, stooped, and took the time and the trouble to bring them along and bring them forward. In this church, we have a lot of young people. There's a lot of young people around here that have been brought to the Lord, or at least on their way to being brought to the Lord by a guy named Mike Moran. You ever heard of him? A middle school teacher who sees that not as a job, but as a ministry. And he is bringing people to the Lord. That's the concept. That's the biblical pattern. Well, what is mentoring? I like this definition. You might like, this is easy to remember too. Mentoring is when someone who has been there, done that, takes someone who is getting there, doing that, under their wings. 
You like that? You say, hey, what's a mentor? I don't get this mentoring idea. Well, it's someone who's been there, done that. They're just a little step ahead. And they take someone who is getting there, doing that under their wings, spending the time, spending the trouble to bring people along. So ministering and mentoring and discipling is not so much a matter of age as it is experience. I don't know for sure, but I get the feeling from Scripture that Paul and Barnabas were about the same age. Do you kind of sense that? I don't know that for sure, but I kind of sense that. Do you remember what Barnabas' nickname was in the Bible? He was an early believer in Jesus Christ. He was probably there on the day of Pentecost. We're hearing about the church growing by leaps and bounds. And this guy named Barnabas was always encouraging people and helping people. And so they said, we're not going to call you Barney anymore. We're going to call you Son of Encouragement. And that was his nickname. He was always encouraging people and helping people and lifting people up. That was his nature. And then there was this guy named Saul of Tarsus. Really a bad man. Thought he was a good guy. Thought he was serving God by wreaking havoc on the church of our Lord and torturing and killing Christians. That was his job. And on the road to Damascus to kill more, rest more, he has an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus knocks him off his high horse, literally. And he finds himself on the ground. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me, Saul? Saul says, who are you, Lord? He, knows, he doesn't know he was Christ yet, but he says, he knows he's someone bigger than him. And he says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. And you can just imagine <laughs> what Saul thought at that point. Whoa, did I make a mistake? And Jesus Tells him to go into town. A guy named Ananias doesn't even want to baptize him. He says, you want me to baptize Saul of Tarsus? Are you kidding me? Come on, Ananias. I need someone to do it. And so Ananias finally agrees and does it. And then Paul goes off and spends three years with the Lord. Paul was an apostle born out of season. See, the 12 apostles are back in Jerusalem. Where's, where's the 13th? <laughs> He's with Jesus out in the wilderness. I think Arabia. How long did Jesus spend with the twelve? About three years, three and a half, maybe. How long did he spend with Saul of Tarsus, whose name later became Paul, the apostle? About three, three and a half years. Paul says, I was born at a season, but I'm no less an apostle like anybody else. And so finally, he's ready to get going in his ministry. He's met with Jesus. He's prayed up. He's a disciple. And he decides to go to Jerusalem and meet with the other disciples and meet the twelve apostles for the very first time. And he has an encounter with Barnabas, and Barnabas says, Paul, I know you're Paul, you're not Saul, but they don't know that yet. Let me help you out. You need some mentoring. I like that. I like the fact that this son of encouragement, that Barney said, I better step up and slow you down a little bit, because there's a few things you need to learn about the church in Jerusalem. They're not going to accept you. You know, in reality, it's, it's, it's often the people who have made the most mistakes that have the most to offer in a mentoring relationship. Think about this. I'm sure you've never murdered anyone, but if you have, you're in good company because the Apostle Paul, his job was killing Christians. And if he could become a mentor, I suppose just about anybody can, right? That was his job, and yet he's brought along 
by a fellow disciple. You know, if every member of God's church would seek to be a Barnabas, son of encouragement, pursue a Paul, and then that Paul train a Timothy, the kingdom of God would have an evangelism explosion. Let's, let's read about this now. It's found in Acts chapter 9. Our first story is the Barnabas one. When he came, the he is Paul, uh, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. He'd be like, oh, hey, I'm going to go to that Cross Point church over there. I wonder if I'll be welcome there. I'm going to go join the disciples over there at Cross Point Christian Church of Jerusalem. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. This is a trick. He's coming in. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Do you understand this? Because you probably had family members that have either been tortured, imprisoned, or killed by this man. Would he be welcome at your church? Well, they were afraid, and he wasn't. Paul needs some mentoring, how to handle this situation. But Barnabas, there he is, good old Barney, good old son of encouragement, took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, what's his name here in this verse? Saul, but what do we know him as? Paul, they they know him as Saul. They don't know him as Paul yet. We know him as the transformed one called Paul. They still think he's Saul of Tarsus on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. He really is a Christ follower, folks. And that's what Barney says to the church and to the leaders of the church. And then Paul is accepted. He needed a mentor to help him bridge that gap. Let's take a look at this now. Paul reaches down in Acts chapter 16. He's talking about Timothy again. He came to Derby. that's Paul. And then to Lystra, he's on a missionary journey, where a disciple named who? Timothy. Timothy's probably a teenager at this point. That's where Tim lived, whose mother was a Jewish, and so was her grand, or his grandmother, Lois and Eunice, brought this boy up to know the Lord because dad wasn't going to do it. And they were believers, but his father was a Greek. Now, why is that in there? And I bolded Greek. I think that's there to let us know that dad was not a believer. Dad was probably not a disciple because Timothy was not circumcised. And no God-fearing Jew would have left their son uncircumcised. But mom and grandma were. But this boy, oftentimes, there's divided families. And a lot of times the, the boy or the girl follows the way of the father. Well, this boy f- had a heart for God. And this mother, loving mother and loving grandmother, brought this child up to know the Lord. And he was a great disciple. The brothers, even the church members at Lystra and Iconium, spoke well of him. That's Timothy. And so Paul says, I want to take him along on this missionary journey. that we're And so he takes this young boy and he invests in him. He pours his heart into him. He mentors him and brings him along. Now let's quickly look at four steps to having a healthy mentoring relationship. If we're going to do this thing, then we've got to do it properly. First of all, uh, begin the relationship. And you say, well, how obvious is that? Yeah, of course. Well, duh. Good point number one. Let's move on to number two. No, this is probably the hardest thing of all to do. See, because... 
you're going to hear at least four messages on mentoring and discipleship before we're done. I'm going to the Spanish church for the next two Sundays, and Mike's going to come over here for the next two Sundays. And they're going to hear everything I've told you, and you're going to hear everything Mike's told them. So it's going to show we're in unity, the English and Spanish church, on this thing called discipleship and mentoring. But number two, you're going to be hearing these same principles from a different voice, and I think that's a good thing. And they're going to be hearing it from a different voice, and I think that's a good thing. But we're on the same page. But when it's all said and done, unless you put feet to these messages from the Word of God, then it's done. Nobody any good has it. It's like, oh yeah, I believe it. It's in the Bible. Next series. See, that just won't work. We can't just be hearers of the Word. We've got to be doers of the Word and make these principles happen. Otherwise, we will not have the results that that early church has done. Now, another reason it's not just hard is is people who are less experienced in the faith I have found are often intimidated and embarrassed to go to someone more experienced in the faith and ask them for help. There may be a pride issue in you that God wants to deal with. And you say, well, I've gone this far in my Christian journey alone. I've not had a mentor before, so I don't see any reason why I need one now. Don't let pride creep in. And then number two, people who are more experienced in the faith are often intimidated by the huge responsibility of being a mentor and reaching down and helping somebody up and bring them along. Because most people, even preachers, say, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure that I'm good enough, and I'm not sure that I know enough to really be a mentor to this person. Can you say Gadarene demoniac? You know what I'm talking about there? Remember when Jesus calmed the storm and they ended up at a graveyard and there was a man named Legion there because he had a legion worth of demons in him. He was demon-possessed man living among the graves. And the townspeople would bind him and chain him up, but because of the demonic power and spirits that were within him, they couldn't keep him bound. He would break the chains. And he was, would roam the hillside naked and just terrorizing people and they didn't know what to do about it and finally jesus comes and has an encounter with this man and casts out the demons and they go into like two thousand swine and the swine don't even want them and they jump off a cliff and commit suicide and um you've heard that before come on it's not the first time i've used that and the people from the town come out and they say jesus what a wonderful thing you've done This man called Legion is clothed and in his right mind once again. Praise God. Is that what they said? No. They said, Jesus, would you mind leaving? If you stick around here too long, we're going to lose all of our swine. And they were more interested in their swine than they were in the salvation of this man. And as Jesus starts to depart, the man wants to go with him. And says, Jesus, can I go with you? I want to be one of your disciples. And you remember what Jesus said? No. You can be one of my disciples. But do it here. Go back to your family. And tell the people here 
what I did for you. And I'll go over there and I'll tell the people where you're not what I did for you. So you do it where you are, I'll do it where I am. And, and you know what happened when Jesus came back to that region? Was he asked to leave the next time? No. Thousands came out and flocked to him. Why? I believe it's because of this man right here, don't you? That's, that's all it takes is one person becoming a disciple and reaching out to others along the way. Number two, spend time together. And by, time, by spending time together, I don't mean, uh, hey, let's meet for coffee and get, get some coffee and then you stare out the window and talk about the weather. That is not the purpose of getting together. When you get together with your disciples, you know, you, you know ha- have an agenda, you know, talk about your prayer life, how, how's it going in your family life, how's it going in your devo- daily devotionals. You know, hold one another accountable, get down to the real brass. Where, where are you struggling? Where do you need prayer? You know, I met with a young couple this morning. I said, hey, can you go to lunch with us today? We haven't connected in a few weeks. And, and they said, yeah, I sure like to do that. And I said, we'll be thinking about how we can pray for you and where, where some of your struggles are and, and, you know, what we can do to help you, you know, grow and come along. And so we're going to do that right after this service this morning. And you should be investing in somebody doing that same kind of a thing. It's not just staring out the window and hanging out and doing the easy stuff like talking about the weather. It's getting down to brass tacks. Uh, in, in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 19, we read these words. This again is um, about this Paul-Timothy relationship. I hope in the Lord that Jesus, and uh, in, the, in the Lord Jesus, to send Timothy to you soon, that is to the church at Philippi. Why Timothy? Because I want Timothy to cheer you up. Well, I, I'll, when I receive the news, I may be cheered up, but so will you. I have no one else like him. Ooh, what did he think of Timothy. To say, hey, I've got no one else like Ricky. I've got no one else like Scott. I've got no one else like you. He says that about someone he's mentoring. I've got no one else like Timothy. He'll take a general interest in your welfare. For everyone looks to his own interest. Not those of the interest of Jesus Christ. He says, but here's what I know about Timothy. He's the genuine, real deal. When he comes to you, he will be concerned for you, not just concerned about himself. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son, there's that word, with his father, that would be Paul, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. Whoa, he tells us a whole lot about Timothy there. He tells us about Timothy's talents, his, his fearlessness, but also maybe some of his fears, maybe some of his struggles. Paul knew all that. And I'm sure it's safe to assume that Timothy knew a whole lot about Paul as well. And, and it's going to have to take honesty and vulnerability on both sides for this mentoring thing to work. And then number three, let's quickly go, deeply love and respect one another. And that kind of follows the first two. If you begin a relationship and you spend time together, you won't be together too long before you're really deeply loving and respecting one another. Paul deeply loved Timothy. And uh, just like a real father who cared for his son, encouraged his son, I'm sure there was times there was some real tough love 
there. Because if you read between the lines in the Timothy epistles, I challenge you to go back and read First and Second Timothy again. I kind of get the feeling that Timothy didn't really like where he was, where Paul had left him to take over the church. I think he wanted an easier job. And he wanted to go to a different church. You know, oftentimes churches want the preacher to leave. Well, here's a preacher that wants to leave the church. Not leave God, but go to some place that's easier. And does Paul let him off the hook? No. Paul encourages him, gives him some counsel, gives him some advice. Don't let anyone look down upon you, Timothy, because you're young, but be thou an example to them that believe in word and in faith and in encouragement. You know, he's telling him stuff like this. And then after, you know, filling him, you know, with encouragement and love, he says, stay put and take a little wine for your stomach's sake. I don't understand what all that's about, but uh, it must have been a tough church. And Timothy loved and respected Paul so much that when they started that missionary journey, Timothy allowed Paul to circumcise him. Not for salvation's sake. But so it would be easy for Timothy to enter synagogues and in Jewish territory and the temple and all that stuff in, in the work of the gospel. That's respect. Paul had been there. He had done all that. And now Timothy is following suit. Number four, be, be focused on Christ. Be focused on Christ. And again, I want to reemphasize Philippians 2.22. Listen to this language. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. Here's a guy that stuck it out. Here's a guy that listened to Paul. Here's a guy that wanted to quit, but he didn't quit. He took the advice of the wise counsel and spiritual counsel of his mentor. He's proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Timothy realized that this was not about Timothy. It was not about Paul. Much bigger than that. It was about what, folks? The gospel. And that's why we're doing this. And so look at this next slide. The mentor relationship that Paul and Timothy had was not about the greatness and experience of Paul. And Paul had greatness and he had experience. Nor was it about the talent and potential of Timothy. And Timothy had both. It was about the two of them working together for who? God. That's what a Christ follower does. It's all about God. It's not about us. When we worship this morning, what a wonderful, the song selection, the band, playing, the singing. I don't know about you, but there was an audience of one. G-O-D. It's all about God. You know, we sometimes come to the worship and say, oh, you know, man, I just wasn't inspired today. The music. Hey, man, that, that's on you. It's about God. We've got to start preparing for worship before we get to worship, right? A true disciple does. You get prayed up and you get ready to go. I told my wife, I said, have we sung this song before as we were singing? She goes, oh, yeah, a number of times. And, and I got to thinking back and I go, yeah, I kind of remember this and, and, and started singing with it. But the number of times that we sang it before, you know, I'm sure my mind was elsewhere and doing other things. That's on me. You know, we need to focus on God. And, and, and mentors 
have to be real and vulnerable and say, hey, here's my weakness. Here's where I'm weak. Here's where you're strong. And here's where you can help me and hold me accountable. And here's where I can help you and hold you accountable. Look for someone you can trust and build into. And so having a mentor and being a mentor should be a very important part of your spiritual walk with Christ. And you know what? You can be a mentor and you can have a mentor right here at CCC, Cross Point Christian Church. Because all around you are handfuls of people who have been there and done that. And all around you are hands full of people who are going there and doing that. And everywhere in between. We close with the challenge. Look up here. So I suppose it boils down to this. God's talking to you right now. Some of you are hearing this and saying, not me. I'm not going to open up to anyone. I'm not going to share with anyone. I'm not going to reach down to anyone. I'm not going to reach up to anyone. That's too scary. Hold on. God's talking to you. And here's what he's saying. He's asking you a question. Who could God be asking me to mentor right now? Open yourself to that voice. Who, number two, could God want me to seek out as a mentor? If you accept this challenge, you will be shaped a little bit more into the likeness of Christ. Let's pray about it right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for modeling how mentoring can work throughout the Scriptures. The Scriptures we looked at this morning are just a few. Mentoring is something that can be clearly seen in the Elijah-Elisha relationship, in the Eli-Samuel relationship, in the Jesus-disciple relationship, especially with John. And then the Barnabas with Paul. And the Paul with Timothy, and on and on and on the Scriptures go. Heavenly Father, help us not to be hearers of the Word only, but doers as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning, you're not a child of God, and you want to give your life to Christ and be a true Christ follower, if you meet in the back, I'm going to ask Tony, one of our elders, to meet you in that room right back there. If you need prayer this morning, Whatever your need, physical, spiritual, financial, Tony would be happy to pray with you. Let's all stand together and sing to the Lord.